Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. I'm excited to announce our upcoming schedule of Planet Microcap showcases, our investor conferences showcasing the microcap community. We will be hosting the Planet Microcap Showcase virtual on December 6th through 8, 2022, and we'll be back in Las Vegas for our in-person event on April 25 through 27, 2023. Attendance for both events are complimentary for investors and expect to interact with microcap management teams, insightful keynotes and panels, plus network with your fellow microcap crew. Registration is now open for our virtual event. So to join us, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. Now for this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I'm sharing with you the live Planet Microcap Podcast panel that I hosted at the Precious Metal Summit in Beaver Creek recorded last week. Joining me for this panel was Dr. Nikki Adshed-Bell, President at Kupal Advisory, Jamie Holman, Portfolio Manager at Merck Investments, and Tavi Costa, Partner and Portfolio Manager at Crestcat Capital. The original theme for the panel was pro tips on investing in junior miners, which we do answer, but the overall take-home message from the live audience was our discussion about the mining industry's PR problem. We unpack why mining has such a bad reputation with the average retail investor, why the negative sentiment in mining right now feels very different than past troughs, as well as what the mining industry needs to do to push back against the perception that mining is overall bad. My three guests are very experienced professional investors in mining, and wherever you land on the spectrum in terms of mining or precious metals in your portfolio, I think you will really appreciate their insights on this topic. Also, special thank you to the entire team at the Precious Metal Summit and the Leventhal family for your hospitality and hosting one of the best microcap events on the calendar. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 243 of the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Nikki Adshed-Bell. Jamie Holman, and Tavi Costa. This episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense. You can find them at streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. Stream is an expert interview transcript library that is starting to become an integral part to investors' research process. They have a number of interviews on a wide variety of companies, including TMT, consumers, industrials, real estate, and more. Stream provides over 300 expert interviews per week, and 70% of their experts are found exclusively on Stream. 
Stream is unlike any other transcript libraries. Stream integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Stream's community of experts and thought leaders partner with Stream to build their professional brands and expand their industry influence. Right now, there are approximately 8,500 plus call transcripts available. For more information, please visit www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co backslash PMC. My name is Robert Kraft. I host a podcast called Planet Microcap. Uh, which is all about educating the next generation of investors how to invest in microcap stocks. And we cover all sectors of the market. Um, but I got my start going to mining conferences. And so this is kind of near and dear to my heart. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited to be here to moderate this panel that uh, we're going to be sharing a lot of really great insights today. So joining us for this panel, we have Dr. Nikki Adshed Belt, the president of Couple Advisory. Jamie Holman, uh, co-portfolio manager at Merck Investments, as well as Tavi Costa, member and portfolio manager at Crestcat Capital. So, you all, thank you all for joining us today. Thank, thank you. you for having us. All right. So, you know, I, I want this first question. I, it's interesting because we're all here together. We're very excited. There's a great energy. But I'm going to start off with this first question. Just hear me out. So, you know, I've interviewed over a hundred of the companies presenting this week at the Precious Metal Summit. And while some of the companies are seemingly doing better than others, um, the overall sentiment for mining has been, you know, a little negative right now, right? Um, in fact, many companies were thankful that they kind of raised capital, capital earlier in the year. Um, so I wanted to start with your takes on the current sentiment in mining. Do you agree with most management teams and investors that about there being a negative sentiment towards mining right now? And why or why not? So... Dr. Adshabel, I'll start with you. Call me Nikki. And Nikki, I, you're a doctor. I want to give respect. <laughs> uh, look, as we all know, our business is cyclical. We have positive sentiment, negative sentiment. I think that from an investing perspective, the negative sentiment times are the times of great opportunity. If we look back, and we always think that this time is the worst time. Uh, but therein, if you've got cash and if you've got a good management team and you've got a good project, that's, uh, it's great shopping territory from an investor's perspective. I think that management teams of companies are often very, very inward looking. And so you're very focused on the day-to-day -day movements of your share price. But again, if you've got cash, this is a great time, I think, to be bottom feeding. Very good. Tommy? I would agree with that. And I think um, just looking at the PE ratio for mining companies today, I think it's as suppressed as it was in 08. Uh, 08 was, you know, if you look at the two dimensions of this of this metric, it was really driven by price. Earnings were depressed as well, but price was really depressed. Today you have kind of a function of the two in an interesting way where prices are depressed, but the fundamentals are actually not bad. They're improving. Um, yes, we have some margin squeezes in some of the major companies as well. Um, and maybe if the stock prices starts getting... Um, some action, I think we're going to see some more M&As. I mean, I think those major companies do need the stock prices to increase to see even further activity on that side. Um, and uh, develop, I, you know, if you, if you break down the whole industry, producers, developers, and explorers, I think it kind of makes sense that some of the developers have been the most depressed right now. Um, cost of, of building a mine, as most of you know, has gone up drastically. So it makes sense to see a big decline in those. Um, exploration, not so much. We didn't see, uh, the cost went up, um, but, but not, not as, as drastic as I would say. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, negative sentiment, I agree 100% with Nikki. I think that's, uh, you know, a time we've been trying to accumulate as much as we can in this space, and it's been uh, busy, but uh, uh, there are no shortage of opportunities in my view. Absolutely. Jamie? Yeah, I would agree with both these guys. I think they're spot on. And, you know, I think there's both the, the macro backdrop, which is not positive um, with the increasing rates, and the elevated inflation, which has been more elevated in the mining industry than I think it has been in the rest of the world almost. Um, and then the other thing that's been, I think, hurt the junior side of it is that when we have seen actions taken by the larger miners, the market reaction has been very negative. Uh, but in as we've seen those mergers play out, sometimes the actual long-term share price of those mergers has been positive. It's been good for those companies, but the negative sentiment around the actual event has, I think, scared a lot of um, uh, management teams away from doing any large M&A. And M&A is really what drives the smaller side of the sector. And then we've also got that compounded by the fact that there's there's been some serious misses on build projects. And like uh, the industry just needs to get better on executing and delivering on projects. And so we've got a lot of mines that are being built now. So I, I think uh, we all have our fingers crossed that these guys will deliver. I was going to yeah. say, feel free to jump in at any point if you yeah. want to. Yeah. I'll, I'll, we, we experienced this last cycle. I think one thing, it's the, both the best thing about our industry and also the most negative, is that we're destined to repeat the same mistakes <laughs> time and time again. And yeah. so. In the last cycle, we had massive cost inflation, disappointment on builds, we didn't have appropriately experienced people. All of those same factors come into play. And so I think as you're looking around as in, into the investable universe, understanding how stocks behave in these kinds of markets, I think there's a, there's a great predictive power to that. So, and I also think that depending on where you are in the cycle, obviously the cycle drives underlying equity performance. Uh, there's always a stock to buy depending on where you are in the cycle. And in our sector, again, it's a positive and a negative. We tend to be sheep-like in our behaviour. We've seen this pattern of behaviour with the majors making low-risk acquisitions on the M&A front. I absolutely agree with, with Jamie that a big driver in the junior sector is, is M&A anticipation above and beyond the, uh, the news on the drill bit is what they've been focused on because every CEO lost their job last cycle for making poor decisions and acquisitions. They've been making very low risk acquisitions. So we haven't seen that frenzy, which is normally the sign of being at the top of acquiring growth projects and higher risk development projects. Very good. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I mean, the tightening of monetary conditions is only worsening the availability of credit. I mean, you just look at energy companies as an example outside of mining. Recounts for the first time since 2020 just contracted. That's crazy. Um, production for oil in the U.S. is basically flat for the last couple months. Um, and so it is, it is insane that availability of credit and capital is, is not there. Um, the global economy is, in my view, imploding. There's a lot of issues going on. Um, and it's, it's insane when you think about what's happening with overall equity markets down so much. And on top of it, you add... I mean, when was the last time NASDAQ was down close to 30% and the Federal Reserve is raising rates 75 basis points and on top of it shrinking its balance sheet by $95 billion a month? That's insane. Um, this is very different backdrop that we saw in 2020 uh, when we saw kind of the opposite of that. So, you know, it's kind of surprising to see all those drivers. You know, you've got the dollar, you've got the change in policy stance from the Fed. Um, it, it's, it's insane to see gold actually holding up where it is. Um, I think it's yeah. positive and, you know, um, hopefully things are going to get better here in the, in the next couple of years. 
Absolutely. So this actually goes into another rabbit hole that we were talking about on our call um, in preparation for this. And we were talking about, you know, how does this current environment compare to past environments? So love to get your take there. Jamie, come to you first. Yeah. Uh, well, when you go back to, you know, the, the last collapse of kind of like 2011 down to 2015, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's nearly as desperate as that because, I mean, the balance sheets of the majors are very clean and they're generating free cash flow. And, um, you know, I mean, that was a, on the mining stocks. I think it was like a 75% drawdown. Um, I, don't, I don't think we've quite seen that. Um, and there still is some access to capital uh, around the margins. And, you know, the, the, the larger miners at some point are going to put this capital to work. And I, I think that we will see some of the, the good projects be acquired within the junior space. But we need to see a little bit of a change in sentiment. And I, I think this uh, macro backdrop that Tavi's talking about is uh, certainly this, you know, we're going to have to wade through some tough times. But I think that, you know, the, the seeds in the next bull market are, are, are being planted now, right? And I think it's um, beyond this industry is that a lot of what's going on is it is a, uh, it's a supply constrained market globally and this doesn't help when you just to crash the economy. It, it actually, you're dis discouraging investment, right? And we need more investment and so we'll run right back into it and I think we'll see very elevated prices going forward. Um, but uh, there's gonna be tough times, right? <laughs> yep. I think what is ironic is companies should be acquiring companies in markets like this. And again, speaking to the sheep-like behaviour of our sector is the smartest M&A occurs in the bad times because that's when you get the best price. That's when management teams and boards are a lot more rational about transacting because they're scared of having no money. So, I mean, if I was a large company and looking around at the investable universe, I'd, I'd be aggressive now, but we just, we, we never see it. Majors tend to overpay at the top of the market, which is great if you're on the, on the acquirer, on the, on the target side. I think there is one thing that's changed between now and last cycle, and that's the negative aspects of, and we're self-imposing this on not just the mining industry, but globally, is we're making our cost of business a lot more expensive with the whole ESG overlay. So this amount of money that's getting siphoned off onto elements that are, I'd say a lot of, whether it's diversity box ticking, et cetera, we as an industry, we're early adopters of ESG. We just have been bad promoters of how we execute on that. And so we have this overlay that the mining industry, um, governments negatively predisposed towards mining, the average person is, I'm sure we've all interacted with the average member of the public and said what we're in and mining, I don't know about you, but the normal <laughs> response to me is, oh, and you're okay with that? So nobody has an idea of where their stuff comes from. And, and to Jamie's point, we're supply constrained. We have an inelastic response to demand pressures. And yes, that's really painful in the short term, but it sets a great platform for commodity prices going forward. Uh, the desire and the need, not the desire actually, the absolute requirement for most commodities to continue our, our way of life is it, it's paramount. And at some point in time, the world will wake up to that. I think the way to make it up is we should all just stop mining for a month. Every mining company in the world should just stop. Yeah. I think then there'll be a very dramatic realisation. Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, prom we promised fireworks I'm this kidding. morning. I don't know if you... Yeah. <laughs> Painful in the short term, but it would reset the narrative in the long term. <laughs> yeah. Look, a gentleman over there 
uh, Roni is he, he did a, a chart, you know, and I think most people have seen this chart, the commodities to equity ratio chart. I do a lot of charts, and I wish that chart was mine, so I steal it all the time from him. <laughs> but I think that chart is absolutely critical when it comes to positioning, and when you think about what's happening in the macro environment, it, to me, it seems like there's a lot of bombs setting off in both sides of that trade. So you had sort of the beginning of that with lumber prices in 2021. That kind of drove the natural gas prices, and you saw agricultural commodities, and then you had the nickel uh, shortage issue that caused a short squeeze uh, problem. And uh, this is still ongoing. You know, I, I do think uh, at some point it's going to fit into the gold and precious metal space because it's just um, that's how commodity markets work. And you may say, well, gold and silver are not commodities. Well, silver is, number one. Uh, it certainly is used in industrial purposes and so forth. But on the equity side, it's also happening the same way. Um, you know, you can see, let's say, back in 2021, ARK Investments has been collapsing. You look at software stocks that used to be trade at 60 times sales and are trading at 20 times sales. Um, and we haven't seen yet, there's more to go. There's, you know, mega cap stocks. So that transition is involving a lot of things. It's value to growth investing that is in the transition. Think about just the tightening of monetary conditions today. You should see emerging markets, especially Brazil, collapsing right now. Brazilian real is actually holding up very well. What does that tell you? I think we're entering a, a new regime which is an inflationary time uh, that favors tangible assets. It, it favors commodities. It favors commodity-led economies. It doesn't favor commodity importers like China. And so, to me, there's going to be a lot of changes of balance of powers, but pay attention to that. The treasury market's declining. I mean, there's a lot of big changes in correlations, and I think they're here to stay. So, you know, to me, it's, it's a matter of time until we see gold playing a role into protecting portfolios like treasuries used to be in the last 30 years. It's going to happen at some point. Central banks are going to have to improve the quality of their reserves to improve also uh, or attempt to improve the quality of their or credibility of their fiat currencies. Uh, and, and how do you do that? You improve international reserves. Uh, you don't own treasuries. You own gold um, or other tangible assets. So I think that's a transition yet to happen. But everything is developing towards that direction where commodities to equity ratio should be continuing to go higher. And over time, I think it's a long-term trend. There's going to be a lot of macro trends unleashing because of that. Absolutely. And this actually, that's one point that I feel like we've, I've heard of and we've talked about a lot. But when we're talking about the, this one rabbit hole that we talked about earlier about the, the bad reputation mining has amongst the average investor, you know, how do we then change that? Because let's say, you know, small retail investor, they, they get it. Okay inflationary inflation's coming hedge this you know we don't want them to necessarily be reluctantly now adding these commodities they we i think as an industry you want them to understand why it's important not just as that hedging as inflation but also as something like you said you know you should know where your goods come from right yeah. so so jamie uh, I'll come back to you. I'm trying to set the order, okay, everyone. So, yeah, uh, Jim, come back to you. I, I think on that is that you know we all have to be advocates for the industry, and some of the um, organizations or associations that have been formed within the industry that have assets and are marketing, you know, the industry need to be more creative in how they're doing it and reach a new generation. Um, and I haven't really seen that to a large extent. And I mean, the one thing that that I, I say to people, and I, I can't remember who, who said it first to me, but it's like, you know, 
when you walk through life, everything you, you, know, you touch or see has either been grown or mined, right? So it's like, it's such an integral part of our life. And as we've become these rich societies, we've become so um, removed from that. And they need to understand, and then this is part of what goes on. And like, yeah, this green transition is, is, is wonderful, but like it's predicated on a huge amount of mining, you know? And so, um, and I think that that needs to be, you know, taught uh, you know, within organizations and within schools, and then it needs to bring people into the industry because kind of bringing this back to an investment focus too is like, okay, we, we all think that, you know, that there's supply is short and that we're going to get a squeeze in commodity. Commodities are going to go up, you know, when the Fed pivots and yada, yada, yada. But okay, but how do you invest in that through mining stocks? And like, what, what if the cost structure just keeps going up the way it did last year when we get back into that regime and maybe you don't make any money, right? So, and part of that's a reason of like, the, you know, the talent is not there to bring a lot of these assets online. So like the management teams that are focused on developing talent and have deep talent and are able to keep those people there through these hard times and be able to cultivate the young people are going to be the ones that win in the end. Um, and so it's the long-term thinkers. It's not the guys that are, you know, uh, trying to financial engineer their way out of everything and like uh, make a quick buck. Dr. Adshebel. Yeah. I can't, I have to, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a favorite pet topic of mine, and I'll bore everyone to tears for, for hours about it. Um, we, it, it, on the publicity side, I think actually the solution is pretty easy. Hire the best publicity firm in the world that understands how to communicate to generations that are not just ours, but down to the 12, 13-year-olds, and put the money that's been diverted to the World Gold Council and these other advocacy organisations that, as far as I'm concerned, are having no positive impact at all. I mean, one ex recent example is one of those organisations put ads on TV. I mean, who actually watches normal TV anymore? Anybody in the audience? My parents don't, and they're in the early 70s. So I think there's certain things that we can do that are low-hanging fruit. And I think the message, as, as Jamie said, and my sister, who's a professor in cultural anthropology, so really does lean towards the, the, uh, the left side of things and has been somewhat corrupted by having a family who's in mining. But as she <laughs> said, she said it best was, uh, you can choose to be a vegan, but you can't choose not to be associated with the products of mining. And so this is a really easy, simple message to sell. We're just selling it very badly. And when you speak to the leaders in our industry, they always go, oh, no, it's just impossible. I'm sorry, it's, it's not. I think it's actually a really easy thing to do. Talk to the 14-year-olds, understand how they communicate. So there's certain elements, and, and also not be embarrassed. We should be proud of what we do. We do this exceptional job, and it's like we want to hide away and not be noticed. I don't know if anyone in the audience has been to Burkina Faso. It reminds me yeah. of the donkeys in Burkina. They're always working, they're treated terribly, but when they're not, they're hiding in the corner hoping nobody notices them. <laughs> that's what we do in mining. So we need, we need to be better advocates for our sector, and I think that's a very easy thing to do. We just, we just have to do it. And one thing, and it's a call to arms of the mining sector, there's a great website called ourweldandata.org. So anything you want, you can go, you can pull down the data, you can map charts, etc. and it's not funded by mining. So it's an independent organisation and they have this chart, this pie chart on CO2 emissions. And I use it now at the start of every single presentation because it shows the CO2 emissions of the non-ferrous mining sector, the total CO2 as a whole uh, of, of all the industry in the world is 0.4%. I bet no one in this audience realised that industrial buildings are 11%. So who, you know, who we should be attacking, let's get everyone focused on Amazon warehouses. They're causing way more problems than we are, and they're not investing into the sector. So we just need to get out there and talk about it more. Absolutely. Avi, your take? 
I happen to think that it's it's a capital and labor function of the whole issue. I think you know what you need is number one maybe a successful story um, that kind of drives attention to the industry. Um, you know this whole idea perhaps that younger people are not interested in mining. All you need is people start making money and people will get interested in it. It's very you know that's how simple it is. Um, so. That's one side of it. Um, it's incredible. I mean, companies are doing everything they can to attract capital today. You see companies doing more dividends and buybacks in aggregate than what they do in capex. In other words, they give more money back to shareholders than what they invest in their own businesses. So that's the degree of the, you know, of the imbalance that we have currently. But it's also a labor problem too. And, and maybe capital comes first and then labor and interest comes later. Uh, and that's why I think it's gonna take so, you know, a lot longer than other times to reverse this CapEx trend uh, that is, uh, has been you know, in, a, in a secular decline for so many uh, years. Uh, and which has to do with enrollment for geoscience uh, in, in, in colleges and, and undergrad uh, programs and so forth. Uh, that has been also in a secular decline. So it's difficult to find labor. It's difficult to find young people that want to be geologists. There's people leaving energy companies today with oil prices where they are uh, to find another job in, in another industry. And so, you know, when was the last time we've seen that? I, I don't think we've ever seen a period like this where there's such an inconsistency with, you know, where prices are, where the opportunity is for you to make money um, as, as an employee, uh, but yet you're moving to another industry. And so, you know, if, to me, it's sort of a function of the two. I think there's, you know, it's, as, as an investor, however, I mean, this is crazy to think, but it, it almost feels like you're buying winning lottery tickets. And why do I say that? There are companies, I focus more on exploration. I'm sure there's other opportunities in development and production that will look the same. But for us, I mean, you can find companies today that put out results, that are incredible results. Nobody cares. They go up 20% on the back of those results. And so you go there and you buy, you know, whatever, 5, 10, 20% of the company. I mean, what an opportunity. Uh, we know that the probability now of finding a discovery has increased drastically. The market doesn't care. Nobody cares. Again, it's a function of labor in a way. It's kind of like the beginning of the tech bubble. Uh, when in the early 90s, uh, not a lot of people knew how to discern a good and a bad investment in technology. It's quite similar to now, even though mining is one of the oldest industries in history. And so very few people know how to navigate the space. And I, I know that from the exploration side, because we're living through that, but uh, the development phase is the same way. And I believe the production phase is the same way too, in different degrees of capital. But I think it's a capital and labor function, this whole issue. Uh, and as capital flies in, regardless if it is through successful stories, something comes in, maybe a major discovery uh, that, that brings attention, um, I think things can shift. And don't forget, just one more thing, the value to growth idea where people are starting to really focus on profitability, that's a big deal. And we know that the major companies in most base metals, precious metals, uh, energy, fertilizers, and so forth, in most supposedly tangible assets part of the, of the market, are making money. And at some point, I think that value to growth transition that we're seeing is going to drive capital to those, those industries that are making money. And those are commodity-related businesses, in my view. See, I, I thought your answer was going to be, I'm starting a TikTok, new hashtag, yeah. you know, we need metals, metals are cool. You know, that, that's also yeah. very doable as well. But the, the problem is, if it, I, I'm sure Do if you follow is, me on TikTok? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but we should be doing TikTok and Instagram. Uh, 
but if you if you speak to your point about labour, though, is is uh, so some friends of my husband's we just caught up with them recently. They both work at Shell. Number one, Shell cannot give money away. They're trying to provide scholarships. They're trying to donate money. Nobody wants bad oil money, and they say they cannot get graduate geologists. And if you do a poll of your friends who've got university age kids, of which I've done with my friends, all of them are doing media studies. So yeah. we have this, everyone wants to be an influencer, wants to get uh, Insta famous or TikTok famous as the case may be. So you don't, <laughs> it's not just mining that's losing people, it's the STEM sciences and, and it's, it's not considered alluring enough. So I'm not entirely sure how we change that. At the end of the day, mining, if you're a geologist or if you're a mining engineer, it's tough in the early stages of your career. You travel a lot, relationships are impacted. Um, I'm sounding like my grandfather, but I think that we've got a bit of a snowflake generation happening and nobody wants to live in a difficult environment, despite the fact these are very, very well-paying jobs and could be very lucrative over the course of your career. So there is this maybe a societal disconnect. We, we live in a society where things are easy right now. We don't have a lot of challenges. So I don't know what the answer is about attracting people into our industry, but it's a very serious issue. I think you see that early, like we're in the infancy of that change, though, because I don't think you necessarily hear people talking about mining, but you do hear about, you know, different skills and the trades that people are like, you know, I was on a rafting trip with a kid that lived in Boise, and he was trying to figure out what to do, and he was whether to go back to college or not, and he's like, you know, I think I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to become a welder. And I'm like, well, you know, all right. He's like, yeah, I think I can make like 90 grand a year. I'm like. We should probably do that, you know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like, yeah. And I think that, you know, uh, the debt forgiveness thing that, um, that, you know, Biden did recently on student loans, that's kind of brought that back up to the topic. And we've seen, you know, how unproductive a lot of these graduate degrees are. And so I, it's changing, but it's going to take time. And obviously, you know, from an ind industry perspective and an investor perspective, I mean, if, if you're waiting from talent who's like a freshman in college, you know, to work at a, a mine in a productive way, that, that's, a, that's a long time, right? So it's a, maybe the cycle's got a long way to run, you know, because the supply's going to be constrained on, on the labor side. Geologists yeah. should start charging themselves out at a higher rate. That's what, they, <laughs> that's what we need to be doing. <laughs> the same rate as lawyers. The sure. lawyers, that's right. Yeah. Be very attractive. Um, <laughs> all right, so I want to actually get into a rabbit hole that uh, our next big topic here, and, and Tavi actually brought this up, um, about how you know there's been a number of exciting uh, new discoveries, great drill results, and I, I you know this is I think really the meat and potatoes of you know of why some folks both here in this room are also listening uh, to this as well is they want to understand you know what are your tips to find value amongst the junior mining space right now. Tavi started getting into this a little bit, so Nikki. Dr. Bell, I'm sorry. <laughs> I sound obnoxious. Uh, it's obviously equity prices are down. So any company that needs to finance that has got a weakened balance sheet, it's one that you can step back from and, uh, and be exposed to that expected decline in the share price. Uh, I suppose the least risk way, and this was my approach last cycle, was those companies that have a balance sheet, a balance sheet that lasts for the next at least 18 months and that there's two ways you can play it. That's the beta way. So those companies that have big resources, pounds in the ground or ounces in the ground that we know they talk upwards. When commodity price moves, they move, they always do. That pattern is, is destined to repeat itself. Uh, but it means you are relying on the commodity 
price movement for equity performance. There's also those, as Tavi said, um, this is the reason why people love our sector. It is, I don't, can't think of another sector where you can have one piece of information, and that's a drill result, where you can have a share price move 500% in a week. This is, you can get the most unbelievably exceptional returns in this sector. And so those companies that have got cash on the balance sheet that are drilling, um, as Tavi said, where you've had some initial success. Reunion Gold was a great example last year. They came out with their initial discovery results. The market was unaware of it, and it was kind of this slow build to uh, very, very good performance over the last year. And so, yes, we're all feeling depressed about the sector, but there's also money can be raised. We've seen a couple of big IPOs that have occurred in June, July, the most, as the banker said, uh, the most terrible market that they've seen in the last 15 years. But for the right project and the right people and the right story, you can still raise money. And so I think it's just being selective and picking and choosing as to what you're exposed to. Absolutely. Real quick before we continue, um, are, for disclosure purposes, are you a shareholder in Reunion Gold? Oh, yes, I am. Okay. Sorry, I was pumping my own book there. <laughs> no, no worries. All right, James, your take? Yeah, no, it's an interesting time. And I, I think you have to find management teams that are focused on on myopically focused on getting their asset and pushing value forward within the asset, yet minimizing dilution of the stock. The way you get killed in these early stage miners is through dilution. And like, you know, the miners talk, you know, or the developers are talking about their drilling costs, 200, you know, 200 bucks a meter, 300 bucks a meter, whatever it is. But they should really think of it as 3,000 bucks a meter because they're raising equity at like 0.1 times NAV, right? So you should think of every dollar that you're putting in the ground you, be, you better be getting significant returns on that because if you're raising money in these markets, you're raising a significant discount. And so you need guys that are very shareholder friendly and are running lean operations, are focused on cost, and are, and are watching every cent that they're spending. And I think that that, that is key because you need to minimize dilution through these tough times because that's, you know, the amount of shares that you have outstanding at the end of the day when the market does rip back is going to dictate how high your share price goes. So... I, I think we view our fund mostly as kind of a VC hybrid approach um, where we're looking for big winners in the exploration phase. Um, I think most of the billionaires made in the industry were made money on exploration, and so we're kind of chasing the same model. Um, the idea really is, you know, I think, I think, as I said earlier, you know, you have companies increasing the probability of finding something and the market is not rewarding accordingly. So you can increase your bets, you know, let's say in a VC model, you get maybe, you know, less than 5% of your, of your companies are gonna be successful. Maybe you have one unicorn or something. Um, but I think, I think the model that we have, we can probably get even a lot more than that, given the fact that things are just so depressed. The second thing is every aspect, you know, every company we come in, there's two aspects for it. There's one is the macro tail, uh, which I think it's phenomenal. Um, and the second one has to do with the success of drilling. So you have two potentials for, uh, for those companies to pop in prices. And I think you know, we've had uh, some companies like that. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter if you're in the bear market. If it's a major discovery, it's a major discovery and it will appreciate in value. Um, you know, there are many examples throughout history where we see that. And sometimes that, that's all you need. I mean, as I said uh, earlier, I think you know, making money is the best marketing that there is. You know, why do you think people are so focused on crypto? Well, Bitcoin was successful, and then what's the next Bitcoin? Oh, there's something else called Ethereum. And then, you know, kind of starts from that bottom, and guess what? It creates a whole industry. That's, you know, and, and 
comes up with a, a ton of attention, that you have all these young people getting into the industry. I think it's going to happen the same way with mining, in my view. Uh, but we need to have those successful discoveries kind of come to fruition. So to us, you know, we work with the geologist, Quinton Henney, so it's a little bit different. It's not like we're chasing a perfect management team, a perfect technical team. They, they have to be really just open-minded to work with us and that we can create value that way working together. So, you know, that's sort of the, the take from our end. But I think there's, you know, many ways to make money in this, in this industry and, in, in, you know, I, the development phase is, is also, I mean, extremely depressed right now. I, you know, there are companies down 70 plus percent right now. Uh, and they're probably going to be fine. You know, they're probably going to be able to develop their own uh, mining projects and be uh, consistently generating free cash flow over time very soon. Um, and so it, it's quite interesting to find those opportunities. It's not where we are, but, you know, I, I find it incredible to be in, in this position. I think macro, most important thing with macro is to identify those big trends that will take five to ten years. I don't care what's going to happen tomorrow, next month. I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend I do. I try. Trust me. Um, and our goal is to make money on macro and throw back into mining. Literally. We make money on macro, we get those profits and throw back into mining and build a large portfolio with that VC approach, a venture capital approach, um, where we think it's going to be a much better odds of success than a, a, a you know, traditional VC uh, fund. And you can create the catalyst now, too, because some of these companies, if, you, yeah. if you're not investing in the deals and you're just buying in the market, I agree with Nikki that you really want them to have a nice cash buffer. But if you find diamonds in the rough and you see them, you, be, you become the catalyst that puts them back on the map. You know, so. Yeah, we've seen, yeah. Yeah, talking about catalyst, named investors yeah. investing in stocks. That yeah. alone, despite anything else, can move the market. And again, kind of understanding how the market it thinks. I think a lot of investors are, don't bore me with the fundamentals, tell me what's going to go up. And so if you can be, and that's why you tend to see a rush of capital once someone who is respected by the market um, makes an investment. I would say one thing on the development side is when you're an institutional investor, being exposed to companies that are intent of driving forward at all costs, which is to, to Jamie's point, and in the meantime, diluting their owners of the business into non-existence, that is not a good situation to be exposed to. So those development companies that have flexibility, where they can choose to pull the trigger, because obviously you want to pull the trigger at the right time in the market, and development companies, not only are they not getting rewarded in the market today, it's insanity, they're getting penalised. If you come out with an economic study, you're down 30%. So I think it's just understanding where you are in the cycle and overlaying how you invest based on that. All right, so we got about, got about five minutes left here. We had one more question that we wanted to cover here today. And that was what, and, and Tavi hit on this a little bit, actually all three of you hit on this a little bit as well, but what macroeconomic or industry-wide events or changes need to occur for sentiment to change and why? I mean, Tavi very clearly put it, this, we need winners, of course, um, but love to get all your perspective on that. So uh, sorry, Nikki, and then we'll go down the line. I think Tavi did an awesome job about, yeah. about providing <laughs> a, the macro yeah. Yeah. Um, the macro overlay. I can't really add anything to that. I think commodity price at the end of the day drives everything. Uh, and equities will follow that. And obviously, you know, commodity price, you're a little bit late as a commodity price moves. And we're seeing certain commodity prices. Coal, I mean, who would have thought the best the best uh, commodity class to be exposed in the last two years, which is one of the most hated commodity classes, was thermal coal producers. And you know, we had majors like BHP selling their assets as they do very well at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the price point. But um, commodity price will drive everything that, that drives the, the underlying equity. So we need 
I think supply, and we're, we're heading into this world of, of supply constraint. So when you see that, that start to change. This is going to sound counterintuitive, perhaps, but I, I, I think that the downturn of the global economy may be actually very helpful for uh, precious metals in general. I think the, you know, the biggest headwind that we're seeing is, has to do with this kind of sustainable tightening monetary conditions we're seeing. I've been of the view that, you know, long term, this is really unsustainable, given the fact that we're facing the debt problem of the 40s, the inflation problem of the 70s, and a valuation problem that is very similar to the tech bubble in the late 1920s. And so those create real political constraints uh, to really develop uh, monetary policy in general. And I think we're entering uh, an inflationary regime, but that hasn't yet really um, helped and become real a tailwind for, for gold prices. Um, there's a lot of changes in correlations that I think are hurting gold. I mean, you're seeing treasury markets even today, I mean, collapsing. I mean, it's, it's declining. Um, the treasury, treasuries are, are declining for, for a real long time. Um, but, but it's, you know, those, so those changes in correlations is, is imagine if you're a pension fund and you're facing pressure from that uh, and, and you're still figuring it out where, you know, what's the next treasury for you for the next five to ten years. I think those will take time. So you see some breaking correlation. So you look at treasuries or global bonds, let's say. They've been collapsing and gold has declined, but not as much at all. You see the dollar moving in the same way. I mean, one change would be the dollar. You know, the dollar has been way too strong. Um, that certainly is, is, you know, one of the headwinds as well. Um, so it's been quite difficult in, on that front, but I think it's unsustainable. I think we're going to see you know, this degree of, of financial conditionings uh, tightening here in the U.S. and other developed economies, I don't think the economy, the global economy, can handle this. I, I really don't. Um, you know, the consumers are in a breaking point, uh, and I'll go quick on this. I mean, you got mortgage rates spiking, uh, highest level since, the more, since 2008. You got saving rates is still very low, historical lows. Um, and you have, you know, cost of living re being really high. Wages are not outpacing, wages growth are not outpacing inflation today. Consumer sentiment is collapsing. So it's not the end of the world. I'm just saying, no, consumers are not being able to spend money. What does it mean to corporate earnings? What does it mean to margins and so forth? You start going on that path, you're like, well, the economy cannot sustain this. And so I think a real collapse in equity markets, and I think mostly from very expensive valuations, uh, will drive changes in monetary policy at some point. I don't know if six months from now, 12 months from now, and that perhaps would be kind of the beginning of the tailwind for gold, precious metals, the miners. I think they're going to start acting early, actually. So anyways, enough of me. Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on. I think that was, uh, I, don't, I don't disagree with much of what you said. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, the deal, we've also been dealing with this fiscal and monetary setup. And, you know, we have excess savings from the, uh, from the pandemic still probably coming through the system. And those are, you know, seem to be, you know, going away. Um, but what's going to happen is I, I think that they are going to, you know, crash the economy. But what's going to happen on the other side of that is, again, you're going to see the fiscal stimulus come through. And you've already seen this kind of like uh, conflicting policies of, you know, for example, the you know, student loan redemption, which is inflationary, right? You, you know, you're doing that while the Fed is tightening rates. And you've seen some stuff in Europe that's similar to that with trying to cap prices and things like this. Um, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, if we do go into recession, you're going to see a lot of fiscal support, and that fiscal support is going to be more broad-based. And the thing about commodities is that, 
you know, that, you know, when you distribute wealth more widely, which is very different than what happened during um, quantitative easing, where it just elevated asset prices and it made the rich richer, but the fiscal policy actually puts money in the pocket of those that consume goods, and that drives commodity prices, right? So I think that we will see that on the other side. Uh, right, I think wow. our time is up. Yeah. I want to, I want <laughs> right there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Did you watch yeah. that? Was that right yeah. at the series? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us yeah. today. That was really, that was a lot of fun and very insightful. So thank you all for listening and um, yeah, we'll see you out there. Thank Enjoy you. the conference. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Podcast.